Welcome to the Redeemer Lincoln Square podcast. Our church began in April of 2017, and as a family, we seek to joyfully live as reflections of God's love together in the city. This podcast will primarily feature sermons from our Sunday worship service, as well as encouraging stories and conversations with members of our community. We hope you'll subscribe. Today's fifth lesson is Matthew 9, 18 through 26. While he was saying this, a synagogue leader came and knelt before him and said, My daughter has just died, but come and put your hand on her, and she will live. Jesus got up and went with him, and so did his disciples. Just then a woman who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years came up behind him and touched the edge of his cloak. She said to herself, If only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. Jesus turned and saw her. Take heart, daughter, he said. Your faith has healed you. And the woman was healed at that moment. When Jesus entered the synagogue leader's house and saw the noisy crowd and people playing pipes, he said, Go away. The girl is not dead but asleep. But they laughed at him. After the crowd had been put outside, he went in and took the girl by the hand, and she got up. News of this spread through all that region. Amen. Thank you, Grace. And good morning, and welcome to everybody again. Thank you, especially those who are visiting our church. Uh, A lot of people don't know this. This is actually only our fourth Lessons in Carols Live. Uh, We actually haven't been around that long. So if you're new here, the good news is everybody's new here, and um, that's good news. Uh, We are a place for the convinced and the unconvinced. And one of the reasons why I love this service every year is because it's the one that we have the most that points towards Christmas. And it's hard not to get caught up in, in, in all what we have traditionally from our backgrounds have discovered or thought Christmas is about. It's not just about a baby in a manger. It's about so much more. It's about light in the darkness. It's about the coming kingdom. And yet, these, this is all just content. The question that I want us to, to work through this morning is not just the content of Christmas, but how do we access this? How do we access this kingdom? And for Matthew, in the book of Matthew, what I think what we, what we see here is not so much about being born into the right family or just believing enough or just being a good person. What's so interesting, the mystery of Christianity is that this is accessed through faith. Now, I know when I use that word faith, it, a lot of folks, just their eyes start glazing over because it's one of those like, religious words that's thrown around in churches a bunch. But I, I'm going to tra- I'm gonna try to translate. Whenever I say the word faith, I re- what I mean is trust. Where you put your trust, where you put your hope. Faith and trust are the same thing. And I know in New York City, I know even in this room, there's a lot of people here on various, on, on the spectrum of belief. There's a lot of people here that have a range of how much they actually trust Jesus. And yet I think it still would be a good exercise for us. It would be worth our while to get at the essence of what it might look like to trust Jesus. And I think Matthew, in the text that we just read here, that Grace just read, gives us two lessons of what this might look like. Let's look at both of them. There's the lesson, there's the, the faith of the woman, 
and the faith of the synagogue leader. The faith of the woman and the faith of the synagogue leader. Let's look at both of those this morning. So first, the faith of the woman. Uh, if you skip over the synagogue leader, right, who's named in verses 18, 19, we go to verse 20. And what we see in verse 20 is this woman shows up, and this is what she says. She says, if. Isn't this beautiful? Look, she says, if. If I only touch his cloak, I will be healed. Now, what is that? At some level, that is faith. There is a trust that if I just touch that cloak, I will be healed. Now, I, what I found interesting as I was pondering this, this passage, she wasn't the only one who touched him. This is uh, ancient Jerusalem. Uh, there are crowded streets. People were jostling and in, in these air, were, were touching Jesus, but they weren't actually being healed. So what's the difference? The difference is this. It's like, is it possible that you could have touched Jesus but not actually been healed by Jesus? And the reason why is yes, because of the belief that's behind it. How many people touched Jesus but actually did not trust Jesus? Maybe, and I was applying this to myself, maybe how many of us have been around Jesus in our lives, have intellectually seen Jesus, know who he is but actually haven't actually touched him in faith, in trust, right? Same word. How many of us have, have uh, uh, been around him our lives but not actually sought to actually reach out? The faith of this woman is, is powerful. It's a flawed faith. It's an, it's an incomplete faith because she only is, is going after one aspect of Jesus, his healing abilities. But it's still faith. And so before we, as we get started here, I, I wonder when we look at the lights and we, look, when we talk about Christmas, we need to be careful that we don't approach Christmas for the feels of Christmas without actually reaching out and touching what Christmas is really about. This is what, I think this is what it's saying, is that you and I, we can, we should, we should reach out and experience and touch. The crowd touched him, but it wasn't, but they, Jesus wasn't real to them. It's not unless we reach out. I think that's the funny thing about faith, isn't it? That it's, it's not mere thought, not mere belief. That's why I use the word trust, not belief. I could, uh, you know, there might be a, a wooden, rickety bridge somewhere in the world, and I can intellectually get my mind around that I, I can believe that that bridge will hold me up. It's very different than actually putting my weight on the bridge and experiencing and putting my full trust on that bridge. So in the same way, please don't just intellectually understand Chris, Christmas. What I would love for us to do this morning, what, what would it look like to reach out and engage it and trust it? Now, was her faith, was her trust, was it complete? No way. It, it, in, it, in some ways, the, her faith is the definition of a superstitious faith, right? She's, she's kind of rubbing Jesus like, like you'd rub a, a genie in a bottle. She's, trying, she's approaching Jesus in a very superficial way. So it's an incomplete faith. It's trusting in the healing of Jesus, but not trusting in the salvation of Jesus, not trusting in the love of Jesus, in the grace of Jesus, in the mercy of Jesus. And so, yeah, yeah her faith is full of error, and, and it's inadequate at some level, but, that's not, but I think that's sort of the point, isn't it? Is, here's the question. Apply it to yourself. Do you, will you ever fully and completely understand and figure out who Jesus is? No. Do you think you ever will or ever could get at all the layers and depths of who he is? No. Of course not. And so it's not so much the quality of her faith or the quality of your faith. It's that she has it 
in the first place. And the truth is, is that all faith, all trust at some level is flawed, right? And yet I think that's what, what is, what's so uh, interesting to me, is that the all of it all is that it's not what's required. What's not required of you is perfect and complete and full faith. If you want to know what full faith is required, I've never done this before. I'm going to try to do this. Look at this chair. I'm I'm pulling up a chair. Here we can do this. If I want to believe in this chair fully, because belief, full belief is needed all the time, you have to actually sit down and take your feet off and trust that today, maybe today, this held up John working earlier. Maybe right now it's not going to hold me up. I don't know. Maybe they, maybe they, they figured out a way to, to, to break something the first time I sit down on it. And until you, your, your hindquarters actually touch this chair, you're not actually putting your full faith into it. But when you do, I actually put my faith into it. That's full faith. And so you're actually using faith regularly in your life. But what's so fascinating is, is that she doesn't actually give her full faith to Jesus, but he gives his full faith back to her. And the beauty of the gospel is Jesus is not asking of us to have anything near what full faith would look like. That he would give himself to you even if she, we, don't fully give ourselves to him. And so we can come and bring our incomplete faith, our weak, wrecked faith, our superstitious faith, and Jesus will say it's enough. And I find that endlessly fascinating because here's what's interesting. Today, most people, what they will tell you is, it doesn't matter what you believe. Just believe it deeply and fully and completely and, 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 and really. So what you'll hear people say is, just, you know, never give up on your dreams and throw yourself into it. And if you just hold on to it, it'll be enough. And what I think Jesus is saying to us in this passage is the opposite. He's saying, it doesn't matter how weak your faith is, how weak your belief is, as long as what you're putting your faith in is strong enough. That's utterly different. But the amount of your faith is less important than the object of your faith. Uh, there's a, um, you can go into YouTube and do this. They're, they've built a, a bridge, I think it's in China, where it's completely clear. It's made out of clear glass, and you can pay money and go out on it. And it, the, the videos are really funny that people pay good money to, to, to walk out on this clear bridge where you can see straight down into the abyss below. And people, you can see that on their faces, it's like their, la- their next step is going to be their last step. They ha- they're, they're terrified. And they paid money for this. They're, I don't know why they did it. They're terrified to make that ne- next step. But here's what's so interesting, is it doesn't matter how weak their faith is, that the strength of the, of the bridge holds them up. And yet, what's interesting, you can also go onto YouTube, and you can see people with very strong faith in their abilities, that they can walk out on a, on a frozen pond, and they're like, you know, I know this is going to work. It's going to hold me up. They're very confident. They go out onto that, onto that frozen pond, and they fall straight through. Why? Because the weakness of the object of that pond is not enough. And therefore, it doesn't matter how strong your faith is. If that ice is weak, the weak object will let you down. So what am I trying to get at? Strong faith in a weak object will always lose out to a weak faith in a strong object. So please, whatever you hear me say today, don't hear me say, well, Michael said today, if I just really believed hard and strong, then Jesus will accept me. 
This is saying, no, any amount of your faith in a strong object will be enough, and there is no object stronger in all of human existence than God himself. And so a weak faith in him is infinitely stronger than a strong faith in any other object. And so the next question I want to ask you is, what are those other objects out there that you could put your faith in? It's uh, anything under the sun, right? It's, could be, it could be our money, power, fame, our, our beauty, politics, friends, family. These are good things, by the way. Don't hear me. At, I'm not saying don't care about these, these objects. I'm saying those things can't hold you up like he can. And they certainly won't do it as tender as he does. Look what he does to when When she says this incomplete faith... He turns to her, verse 22, and says to her, Take heart, daughter. This woman's been bleeding for 12 years. 12 years she, in this culture, with the purity laws, you are an outcast. You cannot get married. You cannot uh, be around other people. You can't touch anybody else. You can't reach out to anybody else. And despite all that, he looks at her and says, Take heart. In fact, the process is actually even more interesting. He first turns to her. Look, verse 22, then he, so he postures himself towards her, then he sees her, then he speaks to her, then he heals her. And we don't have time to go through all those movements, but try to apply it to yourself. God postures himself towards you, sees you, speaks to you, and heals you. Won't you put your trust in him? Won't you come with your incomplete, small, weak faith? Because I promise you, it will be enough. Not because your faith is enough. Your trust, remember, translate. Not because you're going to trust him enough. But because he's strong enough to take it. Jesus isn't asking you to check your doubts at the door. He is not asking you to have no uncertainties in your life. He's not asking you... To have complete knowledge of him as if you really ever could. But he's asking just to look at him. Peter, when he went out on that water, he started sinking. When he changed and started looking and gazing, it was probably an incomplete. I don't know if he could have full trust in Jesus in that moment. And yet it was enough for him. Most people don't come to Jesus because they have too little, too weak faith. This woman did not have much. Most people don't come to Jesus because they have too much faith in something that's not working, in something that won't be enough. What are you potentially putting your trust in? Whether you're a Christian here or not a Christian this morning, what might you be over-trusting, over-putting your faith in? Because this Christmas, I would, I would love for you to re-examine again, to come to put your trust in him, knowing that no other object will be enough. That's the first lesson I think we see here with this woman. At LSQ, we value questions and the people who ask them, which is why we hold a time of question and response, or Q&R, after our Sunday worship service each week. It's an opportunity for anyone to text in questions and then process responses alongside our pastor and church leaders. If you have questions that you'd like to process, feel free to email us at lsq at redeemer.com or join us for worship on Sunday. You can find out more details on our website by visiting lincolnsquare.redeemer.com slash worship. Now, 
Let's get back to this week's episode. Now, second, last lesson, the faith of the synagogue leader. This synagogue leader, earlier on, verse 18, shows up and he's concerned for his daughter. And, and he's so concerned, he's willing to take the risks inherent in approaching Jesus. And the risks to him is, are manifold. He is part of the elite class. He's friends with the Pharisees. These are the very people who want to murder Jesus. And so coming and approaching Jesus in this way... He's risking his status. He's risking his position in culture and society. He's risking uh, his livelihood. And yet, he's desperate. Which means the only reason why he comes to Jesus is because he has nowhere else to go. Which is, by the way, this is often the case. The same for the woman. You tend not to come to Jesus unless, that, unless uh, you, you really have nothing else to work on. How do I know he was desperate? Well... It's not just because his daughter was dying. Look carefully in verse 18. It says that he knelt before Jesus. He bended the knee to Jesus, right? This is somebody of, of a different social class, of a dis- different echelon. He's coming to a man, Jesus, a, you know, son of a carpenter, in a different social class, a different cultural status. And yet he comes to her and says, please, Jesus, she can't reach out her hand and touch you. You're going to have to reach out your hand and touch her. And that took faith to access the power of Jesus, the mystery of all mystery, the power of Christmas. It's again through trust. And yet it's a little different this time. Previously with the woman, it was the poor, it was the outcast, it was the downtrodden. This time it's the rich, it's the well-to-do. And I think what the book of Matthew is trying to get at is everybody on the planet, rich and poor, young and old, Male and female, there is nothing that's going to stop death for all of us. And so this man knew that and imperfectly, incompletely, weakly still comes and puts his trust in Jesus. So then look down in verse 23. Jesus gets to the house. It's noisy. It's crowded. Um, The tradition back then was to create a culture of of mourning that you would hire professional uh, mourners, people who would wail and and scream and cry to to help bring you into a a better uh, mentality what was going on. Even poor people would hire at least one professional. And so this man had a whole throng. He had a whole crowd there that he had hired. And yet Jesus looks at them and says, go away. Go away. She's just, she's just sleeping. And what did they do? This is verse uh, 24. It says they laughed at him. But in Greek, this is a sneering laugh. This is a, a jeering laugh. Because I, I would imagine if you're a professional mourner, you know the difference between somebody who's just asleep and a dead body. But I don't want this, this to go past this too fast. Is it possible there's aspects in your own life where you're laughing at Jesus, sneering at him? Is it possible? Like, where, where might we not be taking him seriously? Because if you don't think Jesus can change you, it's possible that you're not taking him at his word. If you don't believe that, that, that Jesus can work all things for the good of those who love him, then you might not be taking him at his word. If you don't think that he can turn dead people into just deep sleepers... You might not be taking him at his word. And I, again, Christmas, it's about light, it's about buzz, it's about cheering. But we will fail Christmas unless we take Jesus for who he says he is. And if you want to get at the core of who Jesus says he is, he says, he says, I love you. Do you believe Jesus loves you? 
Because I think the greatest sorrow, the greatest burden that you could lay on Jesus, the greatest unkindness that you could give him is to not believe that he loves you. And again, I know that word love, because we overuse that word, it it, it loses its value. I don't mean the feeling. I don't mean the emotion. I mean the action of, of doing something about your hurt, about your pain, to cover you, to care for you, to, to provide for you in the ways that you need. Again, look at, look at what he does. He takes this girl's hand. And in other passages in Luke, it says that he actually spoke words to her. He said, little girl, get up. Which, I've, again, we don't have time to go into this, but that, there's, a, there's a power that goes into that. Instead of, what, what, you know, he doesn't need a wand or a spell. He doesn't need some sort of incredible, you know, work of, of, of effort. He just says, wake up. This is, this is a divine power. But one that's not distant from our pain, one that's not distant from death itself, but one who goes and touches it and has the power to do something about it. And I think this is why... Um, it, by, when Jesus treats death like it's just sleep, what Jesus is trying to get at, he's saying, when I'm done with death, it'll be like sleep for all of us. And that's, that's, a, that's a power. And the mystery of all mysteries is to access that power. He's not asking you to scale the heights of, 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 of uh, you know, a building. He's not saying, you know, do this and this and this. He says, what's so f- amazing to access this, it's belief. It's that simple. He... <laughs> All he wants for you is for you to believe in him more than you believe in anything else. Now, some of you say, well, well, yeah, well, God's love and love is God. You know, of course, yeah, love, lo- God is love. The problem with that phrase is it's not enough. Adam, before the fall, believed God is love and it didn't stop him from hiding. It didn't ha- stop him from running. Knowing God is love is not enough. The only way that you will believe and that you will stay is if you have a taste for his mercy and his grace, and you won't get that unless you realize Jesus could only heal this woman's bleeding by bleeding himself. He could only heal this girl's death through death itself. If you want to pull back for a second, if if the divine power in the Old Testament resided around the Ark of the Covenant... Right, God's presence was there. And there's this story about this man named Uzzah who the ark was being transported and it was going to fall and hit the ground and get dirty. And so he reached out his hand to stop the ark from falling. He struck down dead. And, and the re- people always like, why is that? And the reason why is because he made a fatal flaw. He made a fatal mistake that I think that we all make, which is that he thought he was less clean. He was more clean than the dirt itself. There's an uncleanliness that I think if we're just really introspective, all you have to do is look inside and say, how am I doing? We would realize there's an uncleanliness there, but how are we not struck down? It, if we can't even touch the box where God's presence is, how about the divine himself in Jesus? How could, how could you reach out and touch Jesus if we're not able to access that normally? And the reason why it, that we're not struck down is because he was struck down. Either they would die or he would die. And on the cross, Jesus takes that death. He takes that uncleanliness. He took the eternal death, which means now for you and I, when we enter into physical death, it's just an entrance into life with him. Christians have light. 
Christmas is about light because he's the light. You know, we, we, we see Christmas as warmth because he's that warmth. And to access this, the pattern that I keep seeing over and over and over again in this text is it always starts with desperation. And so to end, let me ask you this question. What's your desperation right now? Because until you see Jesus is all you need, you can only see Jesus is all you need unless you, unless you realize that Jesus is all you have. The woman had nowhere else to go. The synagogue leader had nowhere else to go. How about you and me? What's your need? Have you hit rock bottom in realizing that you can't save yourself? Have you hit rock bottom in realizing there's no amount of self-help that's going to get us to happiness? There's no relationship that will fill you. There is no job that's going to say, oh, I finally made it. You can't have the job that will give you what you want. Where's the desperation? Because potentially, for those of you, by the way, who do have that desperation, maybe God's given it to you because he wants you to give yourself to him. And here's the, the beauty of all beauties, is he is desperate for you more than you're desperate for him. And if you knew that, if you actually knew that, then you would actually end up wanting him more through simple, incomplete faith, and you would have him. That's what's so amazing, is that you can have him right now. You can have, have that contentment. And here's what's, what's, what's crazy. Your circumstances haven't changed. The problems of this world haven't changed. And yet how we go about that does change because of our hope and trust in him. If you go to Zephaniah three seventeen, there's this beautiful passage, passage that says the, the Messiah rejoices over us with gladness. Right now, rejoices over us with gladness. Jesus rejoices. He's giddy. His, his, he, his love loves so much. There's no sin, no weak faith. There's, no, there's nothing about you and your you-ness that's too big of a problem for him to want you less. And so the last thing to say here is what does this mean? It means, in a way, right now, He's holding everybody's hand like he holds this girl's hand. And he's saying to all of us, he's saying, wake up. It's time to get up. Wake up to what I'm bringing. Wake up to the true meaning of Christmas, to newness of life, to to goodness, to, to, to your need for me to save you. And the good news is that I already have before you even knew you needed it. That's the beauty. And if you did that... There would be evidence of this in your life. You want to know know what just one piece of evidence would look like? If the core of Christianity is a man who dies for people who don't love him, who don't care for him, if you place that at the core of who you are, you would die for people who don't love you and don't care for you. And if we actually did that, if Christians did that, the world would be a different place. We would be a different place for the world as well. Place him at the center, and and you will see wonders upon wonders. That's what Christmas is about. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we see how you hold our hands. We see how you you heal us. Not in some mumbo-jumbo way, Father, but as a divine who gets involved in his creation. Father, in this room, we, we all come with diff- from all different places. Help us to analyze and realize that everybody has trust. We're trusting day in and day out, whether it's a simple chair, walking across the street, our eyesight, 
We are putting our trust in things, and, the one, and I pray that we will ask ourselves, what trust will be enough? And what we see in the tenderness of how you love this woman and you love this, this girl, if you love us with that kind of love, there, there is nothing that we could put our trust in that would hold us up more than you. Turn our hearts and minds towards you, Father. Help us to perceive and see the true meaning of Christmas here. Praisings in your name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for tuning in to our church podcast. We pray that it can serve as a resource for you as you continue processing aspects of Christianity and growing in your faith. We hope you'll subscribe to our channel if you haven't already. And we invite you to check out our website to learn more about our church and how to get connected to our family. Just visit lincolnsquare.redeemer.com.